Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Glad you could join us on the Big Red Bench. Roy here with you until 7 p.m. And a packed hour of sport coming your way right here on Cork's Red FM. We're going to get reaction from a dramatic evening in Corky Rain as Cork are crowned Munster Hurling League champions. We're going to get reaction from the Cork Ladies footballers. They had a good win today over at Mayo. Going to wrap up all the day's action in the Premier League. There's been plenty of drama. <laughs> it's all just in the late game as well. Arsenal 2, Manchester United 2 is the latest score from there. Going to get you an update on that one in the next couple of seconds. And tonight we have the second episode of Hear Me Roar, our new series with Cork legend Valerie Mulcahy. She's talking to Louise Shannon on this evening's episode. You're listening to The Big Red Bench on Cork's Red FM. Let's get you that update from the Emirates Arsenal 2 Manchester United 2 Nigel Bidmead Arsenal 2 Manchester United 2 two goals in this second half the first from Bakayo Saka on 53 a fantastic left footed curling uh, low shot that beat uh, David De Gea who was at full stretch that was on 53 fantastic response from Manchester United because five minutes later they're level they won a corner uh, Aaron Ramsdale the Arsenal goalkeeper flapped at it Lissandro Martinez sent it goalwards uh, Arsenal defender couldn't keep it out headed it into the roof of the net Arsenal 2 Manchester United 2 yeah that game has been good fun uh, speaking of drama uh, plenty of drama down in Parky Rain today Cork certainly left it late to be temporary going to get reaction from Cork boss Pat Ryan in just a bit First, though, going to get a full-time report from Jim McCarthy. A dramatic co-op superstar as much a senior hurling final league clash between Cork and Tipperary. With less than uh, five minutes to go, Tipperary led 1-18 to 2-9, but Cork turned it around in dramatic fashion to, to win 3-14 to 1-19. At that point, Jason Ford landed his free after 65 minutes. It was 1-18 to 2-9 in, tip, in Tipperary's favour. Following that, Cork launched a comeback with Connolly hands split in the post. Jack O'Connor coming off the bench to finish off a flowing move and score a terrific goal. That made it 3-10 to 118. O'Connor split the post immediately after to add another point. And then Brian Roach levelled up the game. 3-12 to 118, 21 points apiece. From there, Patrick Horgan and Noel McGrath exchanged points. But right at the death... Patrick Horgan was the man from the play splitter. He split the post to deep, deep into injury time. Tipperary had one final chance that went wide, but it's Cork who win the 2023 Co-op Superstars Munster Senior Hurling League final, winning on a scoring of 314 to 118. I'm Jeremy McCarthy from Cork Street FM, and you can get all the reaction to this dramatic game on the big red bench between 6 and 7 p.m. Yeah, you certainly will. We're going to hear from Pat Ryan in just a little bit, but that's a fantastic win uh, for the Rebels today. Motoring along nicely. It's early stages yet, running the 22nd of January, but uh, Cork uh, certainly picking up some steam in the Lidl Ladies National Football League. A good win for Cork today. They beat Mayo 2-11 to 12 points. Going to hear from Shane Ronane and Melissa Duggan in just a bit. Kilkenny's Ballyhill Shamrocks are the AIB Club Hurling Champions. They've beaten Donaloy of Antrim 122 115 in the decider at Croke Park. Dublin's Kilmacrug Croaks clinching the football crown. They defeated Glen of Derry by 111 219. Didn't see this game, seeing a lot of reports that there were 16 Kilmacrug Croaks players on the pitch um, at the end of the game. Um, so it'll be interesting to see um, it, what kind of fallout there will be from that. Um, uh, because obviously 16 players last play of the game uh, Glenn of Derry looking to, to launch the ball in and, and get a 
get a goal and so we have 16 players on the, the pitch for that one so someone else said there was actually 17 players on the pitch uh, for that final play so we'll remain to be seeing what happens there but as things stand Dublin kills, Dublin's Kilmacrud Croaks that's very hard to say Kilmacrud Kilmacrud Croaks uh, they beat Derry 1-11 or Glen of Derry 1-11 2-1-9 today uh, in Rugby Munster we're back in Champions Cup action today narrowly beaten by Toulouse 2016 in their Champions Cup clash a very impressive performance uh, by Munster had to play almost the last 10 minutes um, well they had to play 10 minutes right at the end of the game without Ben Healy who was shown a yellow card fairly harshly uh, but uh, Graham Rountree's side already through to the knockout stages before a ball was kicked today uh, elsewhere in the Premier League uh, two other games today Erling Haaland uh, with a hat-trick as uh, they beat Wolves Peter Smith Pep Guardiola asked for more from his squad after the midweek display against Spurs and was sufficiently satisfied with the win over Wolves once more praising the contribution of Erling Haaland who hits his fourth City hat-trick to take his tally to 25 Premier League goals Wolves boss Julian Lopetelli voiced frustration at yet another blank in front of goal with Haaland having scored as many hat-trick goals for City as Wolves have in their 20 Premier League outings it ended City 3, Wolves 0 No goals between Leeds and Brentford Adam Drury is watching this one the goalless draw between Leeds and Brentford was easy to explain. Good defensive discipline that caused a deficit in attacking quality. Jesse Marsh, in optimistic fashion, felt his Leeds side would eventually find it in future games. It's only Leeds' third clean sheet of the season, and the Whites are only a point clear of the bottom three, but sometimes every point counts. Brentford remain in the hunt for a spot in Europe with a draw, and given they had no shots on target, a first for the Vs in Premier League football, it's unsurprising Thomas Frank was happy with the point. Leeds nil, Brentford nil. Two Cork sides in action in the FBI Intermediate Cup today. Great win for Ring Mahan Rangers. They won 2 1 away to St. Martha's this evening. Avondale United, meanwhile, losing 3 2 at home to Cockhill Celtic. My golf partner Carrington was fourth at the Abu Dhabi Championship today, shooting a 5 under par on a 67. He finished 16 under par. The winner was Victor Perez on 18 under. Seamus Power finished on 10 under. Shane Lowry shot further back on 9 under par. Leona Maguire is in a tie for 10th on the final day of the LPGA's Tournament of Champions, 6 under par after 11 holes. Brooke Henderson, the leader there, on 14 under. Stefano Sitsi passes through to the quarterfinals of the Australian Open after winning a five-set epic against Yannick Sinner in Melbourne. The top-ranked remaining man will face the unseeded Yuri Lehechka next. That's after he shocked the world number seven, Felix Auger Aliassim. Women's number one, Iga Svantec, is out along with the seven-seed Coco Goff. In basketball, Blue Demons are the under-20 men's national cup champions. They defeated Talca today, 76-73. Blue Demons captain Jack O'Leary awarded the MVP award after scoring 13 points in the under-20 men's national cup final. Singleton Super Value Brunel uh, lost its meters today, 72-53. All right, we are going to start um, the show with that dramatic game down in Pork Uranus Cork left it very, very late indeed to see off the challenge of Tipperary. Jeremy McCarthy, the hardest working person in the game, was down there for Cork at FM and afterwards spoke to Rebels boss Pat Ryan. Um, I'll just start by saying congratulations, Pat. Obviously, your assessment of your team's performance, especially the way they finished there in the second half. Ah, look, 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 an awful lot to, an awful lot to work on, you know, as you can see outside. Uh, um, look, we started very well, first 15, maybe 25 minutes even, and uh, um, Tipperary had a fantastic purple patch then for 10 minutes, um, um, just before half time, and uh, look, we were very disappointed how we finished that, our, our work rate was way down. Um, obviously, the start of the second half again, they were they upped it again, but um, look, delighted with the way our lads finished, we got a great goal, bring it back to three points, and uh, then Tipperary, in fairness, got another two scores back up to five, but look, I suppose our impact off the bench, um, I think we got 2-1 off the 
the bench when they came on and look you could hear the crowd when we got going and look we're delighted with the lads effort there look we're in pre-season and stuff like that like so it is uh, we have a lot of work to do on park outs and tactically and all that side of things and uh, but uh, look delighted with the lads uh, attitude there and the resolve in the end is that the danger that at this time of the year is still very, very early for you and for the players? Like you're looking for intensity and work rate more than anything else, more than results. Ah, exactly. Yeah. Look, 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 look. We're what, what are we training yet? Nine weeks, you know, since we've to go over the team solo. Um, look, there was lots of aspects that we wouldn't be happy. We went too long, an awful lot of the time. Obviously, we've a couple of bigger fellas playing, and sometimes that that allows you to lump the ball a bit. And uh, look, obviously, we want to play a bit more direct, but uh, I thought we'd lump the ball a bit too much at times from from the wrong areas. And in fairness to Tipperary, they were very competitive in that ball. And um, look, typical, um, they were able to they were able to stick past it around and move the ball. A bit quicker than what we did, but uh, look, as I said, look, we're we're looking at all this um, this few games we played in the Muslim League has been all about attitude that we've been looking for fellas, and uh, I thought we saw that in spades in the end. Not for the whole 70 minutes, but uh, I thought when we got our we got a bit of uh, momentum in the in the end, uh, you could see we were coming, you know. Um, in terms of early season goals, are you where you would like to be, or is there still a bit more work to be done? Ah, there's loads of, loads of work to do. As I said, look, we're nine weeks into it, so look, um, to be honest, we look, we've done very little work on the uh, tactical side of things. We've been looking for effort and attitude from the lads and giving fellas an opportunity, and obviously doing a lot of conditioning work and stuff like that. Like, so it is, um, it is um, um, miles away from where we need to be, you know. I, like if the game is finished after 60 minutes what would the assessment be afterwards ah look look, look to be honest look we're very we're very um, cognizant of uh, look look we were we were we were poor not an awful, awful lot of that game right but yeah. uh, look look to be honest look we have a whole lot done tactically and stuff like that and yeah. concentrating an awful lot and what we've been doing in effort and attitude and our physicality that we're trying to raise inside in training and look there's a lot of aspects in that that we'll go away and uh, learn from but look what we what we were delighted with was the attitude and the resolve yeah. the players showed I think that has been questioned in Cork an awful lot of times and that's one thing that we've been We've been trying to get fellas that they keep playing to the final whistle, and you could see here the car crowd that look, look, we want to play silky yeah, rolling yeah. and all that, and skills and all that. But look, look, we need fellas that are doing in the effort for us, and I thought the lads did that in the end, you know. And especially the way that two of the goals came from guys who came in like that, they were able to get straight up to the pitch of the game and Ex- make an impact. Exactly, look, and that's what we're looking from the lads that are coming in, you know. But yeah. look, in fairness, I, I thought look, when we got a momentum behind us, look, and we had a couple of we had a couple of other chances there in the second half. There were, you know, they were a bit unlucky with a couple of chances in the first half as well, you know. So, but uh, look, look, we're. Delighted with, it, with delighted, but we're, we're fully cognizant. Look, as you said, it, and maybe even 66 minutes, um, the game yeah. would be in Tipperary, we'd be very disappointed. But look, we thought our fellas fought to the end, and that's what we've been asking to do all along. And in terms of injuries, now we're here at Limerick match in a fortnight. Is there anyone, like apart from with Mark Coleman and Alan Connolly, who, who definitely won't feature? Um, not too sure at the moment. Look, look, okay. I, I, th- I think, I think, look, we are. We a lot of lads did a bit of rehab there this morning, and I would say, look, we'll have over the next kind of two weeks, we'll have the majority of them back, maybe six or seven fellas back. Um, but look, whether they'll be ready for Limerick now is another thing. Um, they're just doing an awful lot of that, so look, we'll be cognizant of where we are with them and yeah. bring them back when the time is right. And will there be any kind of um, reduction in the panel between now and then, or would he keep the, the kind of the forty forty two? Well, Marquine has gone anyway, so that's <laughs> one full of gone. So um, look, um, no, we look, we'll see where we're at. Yeah. With that, look, look, look. Obviously, as I said before, look, we've 22 fellas playing involved with involved with Fitzgibbon and Freshers over the next uh, two and a half weeks, and that's yeah. an awful lot. So, look, we need the bodies around the place because look, there will be um, wear and tear on those yeah. fellas. Like I think, I think um, MTU and um, MTU and CIT are actually playing on the second of February, which is yeah. two days before we play our first league game. So that's 15 of our fellas, 16 of our fellas involved in that day. Like so, you know, look, some of them will have to probably probably go out again on Saturday, but yeah. it's just that's the nature of the place where we are at the moment. And a word on Mark, I presume you're disappointed. 
frustrated, but you can understand the, the decision. Oh, Mark Keane? Yeah. Ah, look, 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 Jesus, Mark has been fantastic for us. When we came back in the eight or nine weeks, he's you know, mad to train, even when his club was in the All Ireland final. You know, uh, mad to play Blown Kerry. We didn't mind yeah. to play him, and he was mad to think. This look came up, this opportunity came up over in the last kind of seven to ten days. Um, look, we're, we're disappointed. We'd like to see where he had got to. Yeah. Um, but look, obviously, he was a fellow we were taking, a, I won't say a punt on because he was playing well with his club. But look, obviously, he had a good bit of work to do as regards yeah. back, going back into the back line. So, but look, he was a fellow that brought a bit of physicality, good professionalism, and he was a great guy around the group as well very popular within the squad but we wish him well um, and you know look look hopefully he, he gets a better look I think the first time when he went over there it was during the Covid year yeah, or so yeah. and looked very hard time for a young fella to be over there away so hopefully look he can he can put his best foot forward there and we wish him well that's Cork boss Pat Ryan there speaking uh, to our own Joe McCarthy and to Dennis Hurley after today's win over Tipperary and obviously they're talking about Mark Keane who's uh, set for a second stint in the AFL heading down under again with the Adelaide Crows he was with Collingwood uh, returned to Ireland last year held Bally Gibbons the All-Ireland Junior Hurling title last week and um, yeah if uh, you want to check back and now we had a big uh, chat yesterday uh, with Bally Giblin so you can get that on yesterday's podcast you can get that on redfm.ie um, still two all between Arsenal and Manchester United 82 minutes now on the clock they're going to talk uh, about the Cork ladies today and their fantastic win over Mayo in the Lidl Ladies National Football League uh, earlier on this afternoon. A good win for the Rebels, 2-11 to 12 points away from home. Going to hear from uh, court boss Shane Ronane in conversation with Rory Noonan from The Echo. Anyway, Shane, obviously, you know, coming up here today, you know, the expectations, no one was quite sure what was going to happen. Great first half, had to hang on a bit in the second half, but a brilliant win for Cork overall, very happy, no doubt. Yeah, look, we're delighted, Rory, I suppose we came up for three points. Um, hu- huge aspects of the performance we'd be very happy with. Uh, some more parts, we look, we need to work on, but they're, look, they're, they're a young young team with lots of new players. There was only six of the team that started the championship against Mayo last year, starting today. Um, you know, so there's loads of new players in there. Players coming back who hadn't been there before, minors coming in. Uh, you know, I think I think in fairness to them and I suppose it proved there near the end when the, the ships were down and we were under real pressure I thought the last three or four minutes there where they held on to the ball was brilliant and we got a brilliant goal out of it and uh, you know even the last attack up there young, young side McGoldrick you know making her debut got back in and got a flick in and, and you know get a turnover and the final whistle goals you know very very important little things all over the field and I think you know we've lots of lots of things to work on but there's lots of positives coming out of today where it's going to be a shorter journey home anyway right You mentioned there's six only that started in the championship a lot of new, new and young players today and they all certainly um, show that they're worth their place in this team absolutely like you know look at, look at Aoife Healy there wing back to kick two brilliant points in the first half she was showing the forwards how, how it should be done you know because we, I suppose we missed a few chances in the first half but look we're very happy with them with the application they've put in there they've been in the gym now as I keep saying since the start of September and you can see the, the fruits of it now they're, you know, they're really working hard uh, you know they, they've gelled as a team um, you know so that's only the second game we've played with everybody available to us and you know and we've lots of players at home this morning Rory like you know there was there was 10 or 12 players this morning inside the farm this morning doing another training session so look we, we've loads of options we've lots of lots of positives uh, to look at today and I think you know we know we've got a lot of work to do to, to get to where we want to but I think we're going the right direction and look we, be, we, we can't but be happy about today I suppose as expected 
Mayor Rob is going to come back at you in the second half. You know, this is their home patch. They weren't going to go lay down easily, T. And in fairness, like to the girls in that second half, they stood up. And as you said, they held on to that ball magnificently at the end there to see out the game. Yeah, look, I suppose that's very important. Look, we knew there was going to be a kick from Mayo. Like, I suppose, they, you know, we had held them to a lot of, uh, you know, only, only a few scoring opportunities in the first half, which was brilliant defensively from us. I suppose we didn't take our chances only, and so we probably should have been further ahead at half time. So, you know, when you, when, you, when you do things like that in the game, you know, you're, you're asking for a small bit of trouble. And in fairness to Mayo, they're really pressed up in the kick out, put huge pressure on it. Um, but look, I suppose we got a couple of big kick outs away, you know, especially with that last one that we may have got out. Uh, you know, we got up the field, we held on to it for maybe three minutes and then got a goal. So, look, we're very happy with the response. Look, Mayo is a serious side. They beat us last year in the championship. They have loads of good players. And as I said, this is their home patch. They train here all the time. You know, I suppose we came up this morning, you know, it wasn't the easiest journey, a bit of a, you know, a few ropey roads and things like that. And But, you know, look, it, the way we responded at the very end, I think it was very, very positive. I think, you know, the guards are really buzzing after that. And obviously, quick turnaround now, Waterford away, on the road again to Waterford next week, but no doubt you can travel now much in good, confident form after this. Yeah, look, I suppose that the big thing was we wanted three points on the board. Uh, you know, we had to wait till the last game of the three last year to get get three points to, to keep ourselves secure. So, look, we have three points on the board now. Uh, look, we'll, we'll, we'll have a look at what we need to do for next week. Uh, you know, I don't know how the Waterford got on today, so we'll see how that goes. Waterford always a difficult opposition, you know, when you're going away from home there, you know, they set themselves up very well. You know, they were very hard to break down last year, you know, on the both games we played against them. So, look, we know we're, you know, it's going to be a tough test again. I don't think there's any game in Division 1 is going to be easy, Rory. You know, I think it does a very, you know, has become over the last few years very, very competitive. And, you know, I think look, that's, that's what we like. You know, we're, we're, we're out there trying to play the best. So, look, we'll, we'll roll into next week. You know, we'll see how the bodies come out of today, who's available, who's not available. We might have a couple more people available. And I think, you know, look, there's a massive competition for players. As I said, when I saw the 10 or 12, they sent down a photograph this morning of their training session and they put in 100%, you know, someone trained them this morning. And I think that's that's sign of a sign of a good squad, a lot of unity in the squad, and uh, you know, look, we're we're very happy with the way things are going at the moment. Yes, Shane Ronan, their uh, court boss, speaking after today's win over May on the Lidl Ladies National Football League. Going to hear from Corks, Mr. Duggan. Melissa, obviously, first league game of the year, always nice to get a win and a good start. Mm, definitely, um, it was a long journey for us today, and um, I suppose uh, you know, having lost to Mayo in the quarterfinal last year. Um, we kind of had a point to prove coming up and uh, there was definitely nerves coming up here and um, we brought up a panel of 24 and there was a lot of young ones there so um, it, we were looking forward to the challenge and um, you know we didn't know what the conditions were like but the conditions were perfect for football today. The first half, half no doubt out at half time you'd have been very happy but as expected Mayor we're always going to come back in the second half you expected that they made more of a game of it but in fairness he kicked on that nest when he needed to yeah exactly um, I suppose uh, in the first half we we really hit the ground running but um, we always knew Mayo were going to come back into it you know they're a really strong physical side um, and you know they have great experience coming back so we always knew they were going to come back and um, I suppose you know we were always going to change a bit as well in the second half and you know girls were going to get tired and everything like that so um, you know the fact that we I suppose rode out the wave of their purple patch was um, a good sign and hopefully um, it's something we'll get better, better at and I think you know Casey scoring that goal in the end uh, it was just bittersweet I suppose way, it was a nice way to finish and um, I just thought the girls showed a lot of composure towards the end which was really good and I suppose now you have a quick turnaround away to Waterford again next week no doubt you can go up there now in confident form after a nice win today yeah I suppose um, we'll have training now again on Wednesday so we'll uh, regroup
group and um, I suppose maybe take a look at maybe where things we could improve on um, going forward to Washford and you know it's always tough going down to Washford um, down in their pitch um, in their home ground it's always going to be a tough game so it's going to be another challenge um, but it's something we look forward to the big red bench on Cork Shot FM listed dog in there in conversation with Rory Noonan from the Echo after today's win over Mayo still Arsenal 2 Manchester United 2 going to take a quick break when we come back going to have episode 2 of Hear Me Roar with Valerie Mackay Miss the show grab the big red bench podcast at redfm.ie <laughs> Cork's Red FM. The big red bench on Cork's Red FM. Arsenal have gone 3-2 up on Manchester United and Ketty a second goal of the game. There was a check uh, for VAR for offside. Uh, a couple of potential offsides but the goal was given as Arsenal 3 Manchester United 2 and they are into injury time there. It's time for episode 2 of Hear Me Roar with Cork legend Valerie Mulcahy the 10-time All-Ireland winner. The 6-time All-Star has uh, produced a special uh, series with Cork's Red FM. And last week we heard uh, from Lisa Maguire about her professional golf career and why she stepped away from professional golf. Episode two today is with Cork Olympian and sprinter Louise Shanahan talking about her beginnings in the sport, uh, competing at the Olympics, looking ahead to the Games in Paris and plenty more besides really fascinating chat between Valerie and Louise Shanahan. This is episode two of Hear Me Roar on Cork's Red FM. What makes sports women tick? What motivates us? What inspires us? Who is the person behind the athlete? My name is Valerie Mulcahy. I'm a 10-time All-Ireland winner with Cork and a six-time All-Star. Now I'm turning host and talking to some of Cork's greatest sports stars or those who have a strong connection with Cork. In this series, I'm speaking to six inspiring athletes to find out their answers to these questions. This is Hear Me Roar with Valerie Mulcahy. I got the eye of the tiger of fire Dancing the fire Cause I am a champion today is a young Cork sprinter who has had an incredible year in 2022. Hi, I'm Louise Shanahan and I'm on Hear Me Roar with Valerie Mulcahy. On today's episode, I talked to the Leavelle athlete about her career, competing at the Tokyo Olympics, her aims for Paris and the influence her family had on her from an early age. There seems to be a lot of sport and running in your family, so you didn't just fall into it. I think it has been in your family a long time has it? Yeah so when when I was born um, my dad was the coach at University College Cork and um, I was six days old when I was brought to my first race so it was actually we're um, we're out in Carheen and it was in the pitches right behind us the InterVarsity cross country was on and I don't think mum had much of a say in it but dad brought his new daughter down to show all the athletes and I was put into a carry tot and abandoned on the side of a cross country course so to say I kind of grew up around athletics you know really isn't um, far from the truth I remember kind of some of my youngest memories are sitting at the back of the bus with the 
uh, the college kids going off to the intervarsities and, you know, they'd be singing the wheels on the bus because I was, what, two or three <laughs> years old, you know. Um, and yeah, kind of traveling to races with dad. And I guess the, the one race that kind of always stood out to me was the Cork City Sports. Yeah. So dad would have been really involved in organizing it and mum would have lent, lent a hand in terms of, you know, doing up the results and stuff. And she tells stories about how they, they used to do the results up in a, in a horse cart, which was out, you know, away from the track. You couldn't see anything that was going on. And, you know, dad would be off organizing the races and I'd be there in a carry tot while she was trying to type up the results oh, furiously. <laughs> so I really did kind of grow up, I guess, on an athletics track. Yeah. But I never really ran myself and um, you know I'd we'd go for walks as a family or we'd cycle and you know sometimes my dad would race me to the nearest bridge or whatever yeah. but it was probably only when I was kind of eight or nine years old I went to Sculvery Eglantine and um, yeah. so in Ballinlock and the school there there was a really good teacher and um, Miss Nalty and she was really into the Cork school sports uh, and because I guess I'd grown up about athletics I kind of felt like okay well this should be my sport you know I was I was small I wasn't particularly good at sports, but I really felt like I should be good at running. Um, and I just wasn't. I mean, I tried to make the team and I could not make the team. And they'd, they'd only take kind of two girls per age group. And, you know, we'd a big school. We must have had, what, 80 to 90 kids in a year, but I could not make this team. And when what I was changed? in, well, when I was in third class, I finally got out of the first round, which probably meant, you know, I made the top 10 with only two girls to go. There was still a, a lot of work to do, but I felt like that was my big breakthrough. And and then they, they obviously had kind of further rounds, but unfortunately my family went on holidays and I missed the next round. I read that and, and they, were, uh, <laughs> they were like, we have to do something here because I think yeah. you had a bad reaction. Did you do you sulking? Oh, first? I was so unimpressed. Like I would say, you know, I'm, I'm a stubborn child, but to say I threw a tantrum at kind of not being on the team because I missed the round, you know, I had felt this was my big breakthrough and yeah. So I was unimpressed with my parents to say the least and kind of their solution was, well, you you know, dad said, you know, there's a local athletics club and if you really want to do this, you could go down and train. So um, they trained at the time on Tuesday and Thursday evenings and Saturday mornings. And dad thought, OK, it was a bit late to go in the evenings after school, but look, we'll start on the Saturday mornings. And yeah, I, I absolutely adored it. I wasn't particularly good at it, yeah. but kind of I really enjoyed it. I made friends there. I love pushing myself. And I came around the year after and I did make the school sports team. So, yeah, it was really kind of even though I had been exposed to athletics from a young age, I really kind of was introduced to it and became competitive with my school, which was, you know, nothing to do with my parents. Was there any other defining moment when you kind of said, oh yeah, Louise, you can do this. There's, there's maybe a career in this or there's, I'm actually good enough. Well, when I started off in Leeville, I wasn't particularly good, I was saying. And I think we had a huge number of girls there. And we must have had, I'd say, three relay teams at the county championship. So there's four people on a team. So, you know, that's 12 girls. And I was sub on the C team, which meant I was the 15th best girl. And if they'd had 16 girls, they would have entered a D team. So I was the worst girl in the club in that age group at that time. So I think it was probably maybe when I was 13 or 14 years old that um, I kind of was introduced to middle distance running, 800 meter running. Um, and I kind of had success. I think it was in the indoor races um, were the first ones I did where I really kind of in enjoyed racing, but also 
was up high enough in the field to kind That's of good. yeah exactly to get the the kind of buzz the adrenaline rush that you get when you kind of do well in sport that we get addicted to <laughs> exactly so I think I was probably I was only kind of 12 13 14 when I kind of got that and thought okay well actually you know I'm good at this sport more than just kind of someone who's here to make up a team or you know f- yeah. um, r- run kind of on a cross-country team so what do you think you know when you're young like what do you just try every category and then find one or how does it work for you how did you just kind of go 800 I know you ran 400 as well and mm-hmm. you probably have others like tell me a bit more about that what what have you done and then what have you felt best at yeah so well Leavell is traditionally I would say a sprinting club maybe not kind of um 40 years ago but certainly kind of when I was starting running it it would have been definitely kind of more of a sprinting club and I I always think you know sprinting is the when a kid says they want to be an Olympic runner they never think about wanting to be a 5k runner not once they always want to be a sprinter so you know when when you have parents bringing kids down they always say oh my son's so fast they never really say like oh you know he'll be really good at the 1500 meters and so I I did a lot of sprinting and you know all my friends would have been sprinters and I think gradually you know we came across to the cross-country season and they I would say I didn't particularly enjoy the cross-country season, but I definitely disliked it a lot less than the other athletes. And so, yeah, so I think kind of I tried the sprinting, I tried the cross-country. I was definitely not very good at high jump. That was pretty clear from early on. Um, I actually really liked long jump. I think I picked up a bronze medal in the under 11 counties. And, you know, that was something where, you know, I definitely thought I was going to be a long jumper that week. But, um, yeah, I would say, you know, I I tried everything. And, yeah, gradually I realized, okay, you know, 800, Hundred meter track is is the thing I'm good at. When, um, when is it good to specialise? Then do you think? And when did you specialise? So I think I actually specialised quite young. I would say by thirteen, fourteen. Mm-hmm. I really had said I wanted to be an eight hundred meter runner, and um, but. Having said that, I mean, I still ran cross country all the way until the end of my teenage years. And then I finally persuaded my dad to, to let me stop. Um, and then I went over to Cambridge and they've made me run cross country again. So How I'm long s- is cross, cross country? I know it's the terrain that but So the, the cross country I'm running now is four miles long. Um, so it varies as you go up through the age groups. But I can tell you it's an awful lot longer than 800 metres. Yeah, and how long did that take? What, what times you've... Oh, I think, you know, roughly you're talking about 24 minutes, I guess, you know, and it depends on the course. Some of them are very fast. Um, The British really like getting us to run through rivers for some reason that I will never understand. Um, But, you know, if you think that 800 metres takes me two minutes, it's a completely different ball game. Within that two minutes, how tactical is it? Um... A lot of it is somewhat autopilot in terms of, you know, this is the pace you're going to go off with. So the first, let's say, 150 metres, well, the first 110 metres are in lanes, but then you break. So that's kind of autopilot. You know what you're going to do there. And there's a lot of tactics come into play coming into the break as all the athletes filter into the inside lanes in terms of where you want to position yourself. And sometimes you'd like to position yourself, say, further up, but you know the field is running faster than it should be running so kind of trying to calibrate well how quickly am I running and not get carried away with the occasion and and then 
after that, I think, you know, it depends on what kind of athlete you are. A lot of athletes will push it on in the centre. Uh, I tend to try to switch off kind of for as, as much as I can um, in the in the middle half of the race. Um, but again, you know, you're, you're constantly saying, you know, what is everyone else doing? So even if you're trying to switch off, you're still waiting to see if, you know, someone else makes a move because, yeah, you can't you can't run your perfect race every time. You know, you have to react to what's yeah. going on there. So, you know, I think it's probably the most tactical um, of the events. If you go any shorter, you stay in lanes. So there there isn't that element of tactic. You have your race plan and, you know, 100, 200, 400, you have your plan and you execute your plan. And kind of as you go further up, you can you can afford to make mistakes because there's time to get that back. So the 800, I guess that's why I really like it because it's 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 the most tactical of the events and there's no room for error. So yeah, it's um, and you don't have to concentrate for quite as long as 1500, which helps. After two years of COVID interruptions and an Olympics without spectators, Louise is now competing in front of full stands. And she admits it took some time to get used to. And tell me about the crowds. Do you embrace that? Are you beginning to enjoy or have you always enjoyed the occasion that comes with the race? Well, so crowds are actually a new thing to me this year because I had my big breakthrough, I guess, you know, after COVID or in the year after COVID. So um, very interesting Olympics. <laughs> yeah. So kind of my my first big year of running had absolutely no one in the stadiums, you know. So um, it was quite weird to to run in stadiums where, you know, if, if you clapped your hands, you could hear it echo. And um, so, yeah, to, to run the Olympics with no crowds was was definitely an interesting experience. And. Um, but this year it's been really really nice to have the crowds back and to be honest it's been really nice to to have friends and family coming to support me at races and yeah I think it's it's nice to to be able to kind of look around and to see the Irish flags like the support at the Europeans was absolutely incredible like I never thought I'd look up to a stadium and be able to pick out Irish supporters and because I guess it's not like you know a match where you've two teams and you know roughly 50% of the team is going to be there to support you you know there's loads of countries in Europe and a lot of them are quite a bit bigger than Ireland so to think that you know in our little country that so many people made the effort to come over to support us Uh, and Irish fans are definitely loud fans so you know they make themselves seen and heard and so yeah so I've absolutely loved having crowds this year. What has been your most memorable or your greatest achievement to date? Oh, good question. Um, I think probably running the national championships outdoors um, in 2021. So that would have been the national championships that qualified me for the Olympics. Because I think I I had... Um, the Olympics wasn't a straightforward qualification system. It required rankings and things like that. Uh, but I had done the maths going into that race and I knew what I needed to do to qualify. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I was fairly confident that, that winning the nationals was the last step to, to get me to qualify. So yeah, to, it was my first national outdoor title and, you know, it was a full race. There were several athletes in that race, um, who were going for that Olympic spot. Um, so yeah, to, to cross the line and to realize at that point that, you know, okay, it wasn't a done deal, but, you know, that I was most likely going to the Olympics was, yeah, that was really, um, 
a, a special moment. Uh, there weren't there weren't really full crowds there either. Um, so you know, it definitely probably you know could have had more people in the stand and things like that. But yeah, I think you know when I was nine years old, I decided I wanted to qualify for the Olympics. Um, yeah, I read that, and I actually have a, a photo of an, a very interesting and powerful interview that you did where I loved your honesty where you said I decided I was going to be one of the best athletes Ireland has ever seen I'm fully aware it was a pipe dream there wasn't actually that much proof that it was going to happen at the time but I wanted it I wanted it so badly I was determined I believed that I was going to be the best and sure that's all you really need I love that I love the, the honesty and and it's not bragging, but it's like just saying, yeah, I want to be one of the best. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, when, you know, when you ask a little kid when they what they want to be when they grow up and, you know, they might say a football player or a fireman and that kid genuinely believes at the time that that's a possibility. You know, when I was nine years old, I genuinely believe that with hard work, there was no reason why I couldn't go to the Olympics. There was no reason why I couldn't be the best in Ireland. And, you know, there was no proof at the time, you know. Um, yeah. But I, I really believed it. And, um, yeah, for me, it was kind of, it was something I decided really early on. And then, you know, I definitely had some tough times, particularly in my teenage years. It was very interesting that, and it happened to a lot of people who think in athletics, where there's kind of a plateau Mm-hmm. And you spoke about that, and I know you had injuries as well. Yeah. Talk me through that time. So I think it's um, a lot of athletes perform quite well um, in their early teenage years, or there will be certain athletes who will perform quite well. Um, and then I think, particularly for girls, um, I think for guys, this isn't as much of an issue because they get testosterone or more testosterone year on year. So they kind of have a natural improvement anyway. Um, but a lot of girls, they can really struggle um, in their later teenage years, in their early 20s. Uh, and I call it kind of a plateau. And, you know, there, there's several athletes who've kind of, they've been improving, they've been improving, and all of a sudden it just stops. So for me, when I was uh, 16 years old, I won the European Youth Olympics and I ran 208 for 800 metres and I think it was maybe the best youth time in Europe so it was you know it was a really good time at 16 years old unbelievable and then at 21 years old I was still running the same time and you know that time wasn't good for a 21 year old or you know it, it wasn't going to get you to championships and things like that um, so yeah so that was it was a really tough kind of five or six years for me um, and then yeah then one day I did a race in Belfast and I took well I half the distance between my 208 and the Olympics so I took three seconds off my time in one race um, but yeah I think those years were incredibly tough for me and I was really lucky I guess that you know I had huge support my dad was my coach so you know he could see that I was still giving everything to training. It wasn't yeah. like I was getting distracted. Um, and that, you know, he believed that, you know, if, if you keep working at it, it will come and he passed that, you know, on to me. And um, I had great friends in the sport at the time. So it was it was really great to still, you know, okay, maybe the running's not working out so well, but I'm still going to go to hang out with my friends, to talk yeah. to my friends and things. Um, and then I had a few good coaches, um, kind of who I come across, say, in the gym and things. And um, there was one coach, Steve Fleming, who was a long jump coach. And he kind of went away and did a bit of research and said, look, Louise, you know, I'm, I'm a physicist. I'm a 
numbers driven person and he kind of showed me the numbers and said you know this is normal this happens lots of athletes and look you know you don't know if it's going to be three years five years seven years but actually a lot of athletes that this happened to happens to when they get out the other side it's as if that break never happened and you know I think to for him to show me that in my language so for him to show me that as evidence and numbers I really believe that and you know in the end he was dead right you know Uh, I ran the 208 and then I kind of broke through to the 204 and within another two years I was down at 201 you know and I'm back up exactly where I would have been if I'd continued my kind of normal progression so yeah for, for six years it was incredibly tough and then the times tumbled Louise has a degree in physics from UCC and has studied in the US and in the UK she's currently in the process of obtaining a PhD from Cambridge University you then went to Cambridge. Did you actually ever consider going and doing, because you do postgrad scholarship maybe in America, given that you enjoyed your time over there? Or? Yeah, so I actually, when I was starting my undergraduate, I thought I might do a year in Cork and then look at going out in America. But I am um, having, what, a week after I did my leaving cert, I fractured my navicular. Uh, so I broke my foot. And it really wasn't a very good injury and I spent quite a lot of time on crutches. I had surgery for it um, and yeah, I really had to stop and think and say, okay, well, you know, yes, athletics means the world to you, but can you really afford to put absolutely everything into athletics? Because, you know, literally one wrong step you can break a bone and that can be the end of everything. Um, so for me, I kind of, I decided after the injury that, okay, I would do my undergraduate uh, in Cork. You know, I'd, I'd have an undergraduate in physics and that would set me up well for things. Um, and kind of, I guess, you know, the maybe the early years in my plateau are kind of explained by that injury and the breaking my foot. But, you know, by the time four years later, I should be well over that injury and I was still running 208. It didn't really make sense to me to to, to put my career on hold and um, to try to put a few more years into athletics. You know, I was running the same time as I did when I was 16. It seemed crazy to kind of um, put the career on the shelf and say, yeah. okay, now I'm going to go for my athletics career. Um, so kind of I was in the depths of my 208 situation when I decided to do the PhD in Cambridge. Now, I definitely, when I was looking at PhDs, because I'd had that year in America, uh, I did feel like America was very far away. Um, I'm, I'm a family girl and I really enjoy being able to drop home to see my family. Yeah. And yeah, if you're in America, you know, you can hum- come home once, maybe twice a year. And that was something that I didn't really want. Um, so because of that, I really looked for kind of master's or PhD opportunities in the UK. Um, and yeah, I was looking for, you know, how could I combine running and physics? But also, you know, physics was my career and running I wanted to cater for it, but I wouldn't say at that point I was saying, okay, well, where can I run and do a bit of physics on the side? I kind of had accepted maybe that, you know, athletics wasn't working out for me. Um, and yeah, so I, I agreed to do the, the PhD in physics. Um, I had found a coach, a training setup over there. Uh, and what, about two months before I moved over to Cambridge, that was when I had the big breakthrough. Uh, and suddenly, you know, running looked like it was back in the cards. And I was saying, ooh, have I just kind of signed 
grind away the next four years to a PhD have I made a huge mistake um, but I guess you know once bitten twice shy I kind of I needed more than just one good race to kind of prove to me you should go for it um, and so I started in Cambridge and I started training with the cross country club there um, and I I absolutely loved it what's really nice I guess um, about I guess sport in a university is that you have a lot of like minded people so people who are trying to balance their academics and their sport um, but also there were just so many people who really loved running in Cambridge um, and you know I, I did all my easy runs I guess Cambridge is um, I mean it's not too small a city but we all live very very close together whereas in Cork you know you can go to UCC but people can be living everywhere and um, so yeah so in Cambridge you know we all run together every easy run I have people to run with and I really fell in love with running again over there uh, and then yeah uh, Covid hit so I came back to Cork and I kind of I probably had what four months of training in Cork and studying from Cork yeah studying from Cork but I guess almost being able to train like a full-time athlete because I was doing an experimental PhD so when they shut down the labs and you don't have access to the experiments there's actually a limit to how much you can yes. do uh, so it wasn't ideal because obviously no one had access to physios or anything so it wasn't quite like being a professional athlete uh, but I was able to structure my day in terms of get up work run in the middle of the day work some more maybe do some gym work at home or whatever in the evening we all set up our lockdown gyms outside and <laughs> um, and yeah so I, I went back to Cambridge in July and kind of had maybe three weeks training there before I started racing uh, and yeah I think that was probably you know I'd had that one good race the year before the glimmer of hope but that summer when I raced you know I was a different athlete and um, and yeah from there I think kind of I started to think okay well you know what there is no reason why I maybe the Olympics still seemed out of grasp I, know, I kind of was saying you know I might be able to qualify for Paris Tokyo definitely wasn't on the cards yeah and um, but I guess yeah the Olympics being delayed by a year because of Covid, COVID was kind of oh completely like if it wasn't for Covid I would not have qualified for the Olympics so I am yeah I'm very grateful for this strange pandemic how do you compare the resources and the support and that you get in Ireland compared to say college abroad is there any comparison um, there there really isn't um, the NCAA system is designed to to give athletes everything they could possibly need and um, I guess it's a business so athletes yes they do study but they're essentially professional athletes and you know when we stepped off a track we'd be straight into a physio room we'd have ice baths we'd have anti-gravity treadmills you know and um, it yeah they're as a professional athlete in Europe I don't think you could have the support that college level athletes have in America um, but I mean you know we're trying our best here and it's funny but you know the a huge amount of money and resources doesn't necessarily produce the best athletes uh, America definitely they have so many athletes they kind of have a system that just keep throwing them against the wall and eventually one of them will stick and they have so many athletes that they can afford to do that Um we don't have that in Ireland you know we can't we can't put one blanket program across and say okay we'll use this program and it'll suit a couple of athletes and those athletes will go on to be our stars we don't have those numbers so we really have to say okay well who are the athletes we have and how can we develop them um, but, but yeah tailoring the exactly to the um, and yeah so money doesn't necessarily produce the best results but uh, yeah the, the, the facilities that they have I mean 
every college and pretty much every high school in America will have its own track. Um, now we're incredibly lucky in Cork to have two in the city, but you know, can you imagine if every secondary school in Cork had a track? <laughs> you know, we'd be playing a completely different game. Louise was part of the Irish Athletics team for Tokyo 2020, running the 800 metres. She still can't quite believe she's an Olympian. Were you in awe of the place and the athletes and the... Yeah, so I think it was quite a mixed experience. So the one thing I'd say is the Olympic Village is probably the most special place in the world. So it's, you know, you've got, it's over 200 nations that are there and they're sky rise buildings with balconies and everyone hangs their flags out over the balconies. And some of the bigger countries, they now actually design their flags. So when they hang out their flag, one individual flag doesn't make a lot of sense but when they hang them all out over their balconies the GB's team will describe like a giant lion the entire size of the building Um, and I know that the Japanese specifically designed their flags knowing which apartments they'd be in so kind of everyone was putting out this almost like their own towel and yet when all the towels came together you had these huge images on the side of buildings and so yeah so to walk around the Olympic Village it helps when it's warm Um, but it's the colours the country it's incredible. Did you but, swap much gear? And actually, it's kind of, I guess, less of a done thing now in athletics because, well, partly with COVID, so we kind of are staying away from each other. But actually, a lot of athletes are now professional, so they're not that interested in switching gear because they can only wear the the gear that's Friendly. given to them. So yeah, it's that was a, a disappointment. But you know, realistically, it was a COVID Olympics. So yes, we could walk around and look at the pretty colours, but you weren't inclined to talk to the other athletes because, you know, if you talked to one wrong person and you picked up COVID, you weren't getting to race. And, yeah. you know, that was that was just a risk that most of us just were not willing to take. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people talk about the food ho- halls being, you know, the most social thing. You know, as an athlete, you spend a huge amount of time sitting in the Olympic Village doing nothing. And a lot of people tend to spend a lot of time in the food halls sitting and chatting. Uh, but we had, you know, big perspex sheets up. Yeah. So you couldn't talk to the other athletes really in the food hall. So it was definitely kind of uh, a lonely experience. And I think I came away from Tokyo saying, you know, that was great, box ticked. But now I want to go to Paris as much to experience it myself but also you know so many people put so much time into my career and the idea that you know my dad could coach me from when I'm nine years old and then for me to run in the Olympics and him not see it yeah. that's just something I'm not comfortable with so you know yeah. I want but to qualify for Paris so. yeah but I want to qualify for Paris so yeah. that my family can come my friends can come and you know they can experience it with the Olympics in Paris just over a year away Louise admits that the three-year cycle between the Tokyo and Paris Games is working to her advantage. Yeah, I think so. I think um, kind of I've been rolling on a high kind of since the 2021 Olympics. So, you know, a lot of athletes kind of stepped down a bit after the Olympics, whereas arguably my 2022 season was better than my 21. Um, So for me, I'm kind of I'm hungry for the Olympics. I wanted to come as soon as possible. Um, But also, I think, you know, if it's a four year cycle, then you do things a bit differently. You know, you maybe you take a bigger step back uh, a few years out. But yeah, I mean, I, I really want to go to Paris and kind of the sooner it comes the better for me so it's a time-honored tradition that olympians get a tattoo of the olympic rings after competing at the games louise though says while she's given it some thought she hasn't yet set it in stone or hunt her skin do you have the olympic tattoo no i don't um, and this is it? yeah well so i always said the only tattoo i would get would be the olympic rings and yeah. i i was 
I decided when I was a kid I was going to the Olympics so you know this was another decision I made Um, and then I qualified for the Olympics um, and my mum immediately started to get worried you know she she immediately she used to crop up in conversations you won't actually get that tattoo will you Um, so I came home from the Olympics and I was all set to get the tattoo but I'm a bit indecisive so I couldn't decide where so part of me would really like to get it somewhere really obvious maybe not quite across my forehead head but you know maybe on my calf or my biceps so that you know if I'm in the gym and there's a guy who you know won't you know let me have a go on the squat rat that I could just flex my muscles and kind of show you know I'm here for business so there's part of me that wants it in a really obvious position and I definitely get it because (laughs) that'll be me but But there's uh, there's part of me who wants it kind of subtly as well you know it's it's my own private thing but actually my mum when I came back she got me an Olympic ring so I have the the rings on my finger uh, and I think this is her way of saying look you don't need a yeah. tattoo you can have this maybe so bring we'll her along to the tattoo parlour <laughs> yeah. and have her join in it I know but it's something you're very proud of so it's a nice reminder especially maybe as a motivation when Exactly. Things might be going great or you're questioning what am I doing? Yeah, here, I think know? for me, um, I unfortunately spend a lot of time on the Watt bike and I really hate it, but it's a good way of cross training, particularly yeah. if you're injured. And for me to be able to look down and to see the rings on my finger um, is, is really great because I can look down at it and say, OK, well, this is why you're doing it. Yes, you might hate you know, the next 20 minutes yeah. or 40 minutes or however long I'm stuck in it. But, you know, it's a reminder that this is why I do it and it is worth it. On last week's show, I got my students to ask a question of Lisa McGuire. This week, I'm asking Louise a question left by Lisa. Let's go back to this autobiography question that Lisa left you. Um, you've retired from your sport and writing an autobiography. Who do you ask to write your forward and what would you hope that they would say? So I'm not sure if you're allowed to to ask this person, but I think I'd ask my dad. Um, So yeah, my dad has been kind of the one really constant, um, loving, always there support um, for, you know, as long as I can remember. So I remember as a kid looking up to him and just thinking, my dad is the best dad ever and you know lots of people thought that but I really believed my dad was Um, and then you know he introduced me to my sport um, and kind of he passed on his love for the sport to me Um, so what did he say? oh (laughs) probably that she never listens (laughs) but you know and I'd I'd really like for him to to look back to to look back on the career that we've had over the past 20 years together in sport and kind of look back and to say you know she didn't let anything stop her she was determined she was hardworking, and and you know this it didn't necessarily all come easy but that she kind of was unwavering in her her determination or you know ability to push through it because I don't think that anyone really witnessed how much I struggled in athletics as my dad he was the person you know who'd pick who, well he, he didn't pick me up from training he was there with me you know yeah. who, who'd take me off the track and he was the one who'd sit in, in the car on the way home as I'd go through every rep and why things weren't working he was the one who'd have long drives home from races after I'd run 208 again and I had frustration coming out yeah. my ears so I really think that you know no one in this world probably knows me 
as well as my dad and no one realizes kind of how how much we have gone through together because yeah. it, they weren't easy years for him either so yeah I'd love I love for him to kind of be able to express truly how difficult sport can be and kind of to say you know that she did it she came out the other side um, and that she's proud of me I'm sure he is so Louise you get the opportunity to ask me one question now I know you've been watching something there that was pretty revealing last week so you might have all your questions answered but yes you have one question to ask me you're the host fire away about 20 years ago sport was something that you know people did um, in the evening after work and in certain sports quite a lot has changed over the last 20 years and people now make careers out of it um, the GAA kind of prides itself on being an amateur sport um, do you think female athletes should have to go to Australia to make money from their sport see I'm in agreement with it being an amateur sport and it actually helps when you retire that you have a job and a different identity and a purpose do I think that they have to go to Chris no but I think it is a great opportunity for them and you couldn't begrudge them especially given the you know if you when you're younger I think anyone who plays sport wants to do it professionally almost or to be have that opportunity that's an interesting question Um I don't see a way out because I don't think that the GA should be uh, I don't think you should be paid to play but I do think you should be well looked after so that you can get the best out of yourself and that was one of the reasons why I did set up the the Women's Gaelic Players Association was to try and ensure that players were well looked after that they enjoyed their career and then they they would be able to give back and not resentful or feeling like that they didn't get the best out of themselves it's been a pleasure getting to know you more and thanks for your honesty and for sharing your insight with us. Thank you for thanks having so me. Thanks so much, Louise. Thank you. A massive thank you to Louise Shannon for being my guest today on Hear Me Roar. Our guest next week is Irish hockey star, World Cup finalist and Olympian, Nikki Daly. So I didn't have that real, you know, oh, I want to be an Olympian from a very young age. It was something that only really came into my life when I was 21 when I you know started playing on the Irish hockey team and realized that hockey was an Olympic sport and there was an opportunity there that if I could make the team there's always a chance that you could make the Olympics. Hear Me Roar was presented by me Valor Mackay and produced and edited by Rory O'Hagan for Cork's Red FM. Music was by the wonderful Jack O'Rourke. Thanks to my friends at mygames.ie who created a beautiful memento for each of my special guests. Gorev Magot as Clusa Hortomanov Augsburg may kind live Kalua. Slan. Yeah, really brilliant stuff there from Valerie Mackay, the 10 time All Ireland winner presenting Hear Me Roar right here on Cork's Real FM. A fantastic conversation with Cork sprinter Louise Shanahan. And episode 3 with Nikki Daly next week is absolutely fantastic as well. So tune back in for that. We are out of time. Our podcast will be online, charlierealfm.ie, or from wherever you get your podcasts. We're back next Saturday and Sunday from 6. The wonderful Max Blackburn up next with Green on Red with three hours of the best Irish music coming your way. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, folks. We'll talk to you next week. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.